Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Simon Hughes. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We're back after a couple of weeks off and really looking forward to the Ashes series. It's only just over a week away and we're pretty excited, even though England haven't really performed all that well so far. It's pitching to be a a really tight series, don't you think, Simon? I'm not so sure. I'll give you my views in, in just a moment. I'll also tell you what we've got coming up. We'll hear from the former England captain Bob Willis about bowling in Australia and from injured fast bowler Stephen Finn. He discusses bowling with a Kookaburra ball, something sadly he won't be doing this winter after returning home with a knee injury. And that was a bizarre injury, actually. I, I was at Middlesex today and... You know, he's going to be out for three months, poor Stephen. He's got to have an operation. That's so strange. Going into the nets to have a bat. All those old diehards who be saying well, the bowlers, why do they need to bat? Why do they have to bat to practice? You know, surely it's unnecessary. Well, they might be being proved right after that because he got injured batting in the nets. So unfortunate as well. So England already without Stokes, Wood, sort of, although he's going to be out in Australia, Finn. Porter, possible replacement, he's injured as well, and Roland Jones. I mean, imagine if Anderson or Broad or Anderson and Broad were injured during the series. I mean, they really would be down to the bare bones. Liam Plunkett's, uh, I'm sure he's getting his boots laced up already. In fact, it's, it's odd that he hasn't been called up already. Well, the man who took six wickets in two championship matches for Yorkshire well, last season. Yeah, I know. I, I, I accept that he hasn't done a lot of bowling in, in first-class cricket, but he's shown his capabilities in the one-day format and he's got the pace, which England lack. Something we talked about on a previous podcast, it's sort of come to pass, hasn't it? England beat a Cricket Australia 11 by 192 runs in, in Adelaide. A, a crushing victory. You think, oh, my, great, 192 runs, but look at the standard of the opposition, all the Australian players playing mm. shield matches. Yeah. It was a pretty ordinary Cricket Australia eleven. they, they came up against. We, we always said that was yeah. a likelihood, didn't we? That there were going to be shield games on during all England's warm-up games. So you couldn't really make too much of a judgment from them. The other thing as well, and it's something that Jim Maxwell talked about uh, during a couple of Ashes programmes that, that I've listened to, one I was involved in, How to Win in Australia on, on BBC Five Live, about how teams don't actually play at the Gabba to prepare for the first test. Australia have got this amazing record at the Gabba. They have not lost there since 1988. It's an incredible record. Against anybody. Against anybody, yeah. And, and teams don't go to the Gabba, or not allowed to go to the Gabba, and actually play a, a warm-up match. I was looking back at this today. The last time uh, England played a warm-up match at the Gabba was in 86-87 on Mike Gatting's tour, and the, and the game they, a, a tour when they went on to win the Ashes, they didn't 
play very well at the Gabba. They lost to Queensland by five wickets, but at least they had that preparation, yeah. just those unique conditions, the, the heat, the humidity, the extra banks in the pitch. Up to Townsville for their final warm-up game, which is of some benefit, isn't it? Because they are playing in those humid conditions, so the players will get, will get used to the, the weather conditions of the Gabba, but not necessarily used to the, the banks of the Gabba pitch. I mean, the pitch at, in South Australia, in Adelaide, for that the last but one warm-up game was very slow. I watched some of the the action online and it looked a really slow pitch. That's, I mean, that's no preparation for the Gabba, is it? No, absolutely. It's a very good point you make about Australia's crafty tactics. It's also quite... It's almost quite Machiavellian, isn't it? The way they, they send England all round the place, not to the Gabba itself before the Gabba Test match. In fact, I remember, you know, for the last sort of 25, 30 years, mostly England were sent to Tasmania, to Hobart, before the first test at the Gabba. And, and that's a bit like... Freezing cold, yeah, right? I mean, wet, cold, damp pitch, a bit like going to Durham before playing in the south of France. So it's a, it's a very strange change that you have to adjust to to play at the Gabba. And Gabba is a very unusual ground I think because of the pitch because it just has a little bit of extra bounce and it's so humid as well it's not that the ball does a lot through the air particularly though I do remember one of the greatest spells of bowling ever was one at the Gabba by Richard Hadley who bowled out the Australians in the 1980s in both innings and he just bowled that immaculate line and length with a bit of extra bounce outside off stump and a little bit of out movement and he took 16 wickets in the match and bowled Australia to into oblivion but generally it doesn't do a lot it just does enough but it's that extra bounce Strauss will remember the time that fateful time when he went to open the batting in that famous series in which, of course, England won eventually, and third ball of the game, mm. third, third ball of the series, he got one for it that just bounced a bit and took his glove or took the top of the bat and was caught at gully. That's what can happen early at the Gabba, so you've got to see it through that first 10, 15 overs against the new ball, and if you don't play a previous match there, you're not going to be used to that kind of bounce. Australia's bowling attack, we pretty much know what it's going to be. I think for the first test, if everyone stays fit, I mean, that we talked about England's bowlers staying fit. Of course, that's the, true for Australia's as well. But if they can get those three pace bowlers on the, the ground for all the Ashes test matches, I'm thinking of, of Stark, I'm thinking of Hazelwood, who's, who's a big threat as well. Yeah. And I'm thinking of Cummings, Cummings as well. That's a pretty formidable attack, and Nathan Lyon with his canny offspin as well. No, I mean, undoubtedly, Australia have the the aces in the pack for for bowling, provided they all stay fit. Now, I mean, you know, the key to the Ashes is clearly making big scores. You've got to make four fifty, five hundred, and really put the bowlers under pressure, put the batsmen, the, the opposition under pressure as well. You've got to make big runs. But bowling in Australia is tough, and you also got to be able to be acclimatised to it, to have the stamina, to have the resilience to keep going with that kookaburra ball. Uh, I mean, you know, just to try and give people an idea of what it's like to bowl in Australia, it's like running up on concrete. You think of, of English pitches, and after five overs bowling one particular end, you've dug a, a small hole with your front foot, and gradually as the game wears on, that front foot hole gets a bit deeper and has to be filled in by the ground staff and so on. In Australia, it doesn't happen. You barely scratch the surface after five overs. You know, your studs don't go in. They stay on top of the ground, and it does, it's a sort of bone-rattling experience. So it does make it very tough. Well, you've been speaking to Bob Willis, who you know bowled plenty of overs in Australia, the former England captain, and and, and basically he just he agrees with that point. It's extremely hard work because of the uh, 
the fearsome weather conditions. It can get extremely hot and humid, particularly uh, up in Brisbane. Uh, it's changed a bit now. Uh, the Perth and Adelaide pitches have uh, changed quite a lot, but uh, it's it's very very taxing on the body. Um, bowling in Australia, so you need to be you need to be ultra fit, particularly if you're part of a four man bowling attack and say the spin bowler is disappearing around the park and you've got to bowl more than your fair share of overs. There is a um, uh, a lot of work to be done and the kookaburra ball, which every English bowler hates, you just have to get on and uh, bowl with it as best you can. But uh, it's uh, it's hard going. You can tell that by the number of injuries to uh, the, all the Australian bowlers that come along. Is it to do with the, the, the hardness of the ground, do you think, as well? The size of the outfields? I mean, I, I remember bowling in Australia and it was, it was sort of bone jarring when you landed. Do you think there's, a, there's an element of that? Very much so. Yeah, I'm sure that's uh, what caused my uh, injuries back in 74, 75. Uh, the, uh, the pitches are very unforgiving. You don't find the ground staff uh, going out to repair footholds there. It's like, uh, it is literally like uh, landing on uh, concrete. And as you say, your, uh, uh, your jawbone... Uh, crashes into your uh, top set of teeth when you uh, let the ball go. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, very, very tough conditions to bowl in. Do you worry about Badding's bowling in this series? I worry about the lack of pace in England's bowling attack. I think that we've got uh, some very fine seam and swing bowlers in the party. It's a great shame that, uh, uh, you know, Mark Wood isn't... Fit because I do think pace uh, does make a difference. I mean, Broad can in spells bowl quickly, uh, Overton as well. Um, but uh, I think Australia have probably got one up, up on us in terms of pace. I don't think they've got a Mitchell Johnson style character that uh, is going to blow us away. But uh, particularly when the ball is new, uh, getting that fearsome bounce from a good length is a great uh, tool to have in your uh, armoury. Did you enjoy bowling in Australia, g- given the, the difficulty of the conditions? Did you have, did you have success? Yeah, I, uh, I had uh, a, a fair amount of success. Um, it, was always, it was always pretty hard work, but, um, uh, yeah, you enjoy... I mean, if you don't enjoy Ashes Test cricket anywhere, the, the, the crowds are... Well, they were pretty humorous when I was playing. Um, I hope that's still the case, but uh, uh, they want Australia to win at any cost and they give you uh, uh, a lot of stick if you're fielding down on the boundary, but that should give you further incentive to uh, bowl your guts out for England. And, and what, what, did they, what were they like to you? Oh, uh, you know, they were... Uh, uh, great tales of uh, the old uh, uh, Bay 13 at the MCG. Um, you know, you go down a field on the boundary. Hey, Willis, I didn't know they stacked shit that high. And, um, Willis, you take ugly pills. I think you're hooked on them. And uh, so you uh, try and 
placate them by taking the proffered can of uh, VB lager, a little bit warmer than I remember and uh, a bit more frothy. So uh, I'd heard of taking the piss out of English bowlers, but trying to put it back into them was a bit too much to take. Bob Willis, of course, won't be out in Australia this winter. He'll be uh, sat in the studio back at home. We should just say, if you haven't realised already, by the way, it's not on Sky this winter. The Ashes is on BT Sport and also, of course, on the BBC. So uh, you, your Sky uh, subscription will, will not be any use and you won't be seeing much of Bob Willis. But he makes a good point there about actually laughing at the abuse you get on the boundary, which is inevitable. And there are, you know, lots of great stories of, you know, the Phil Tufnell, tough as lenders your brain, I'm building an idiot kind of thing. You know, if you can laugh at it and, and sort of, I, you know, take the beer when it's offered, that does help to get them on your side. Stuart Broad was talking about, you know, obviously last time he went to Australia, he was under real pressure after, you know, not walking during yeah. the, the Trent Bridge Test match. And he's about, in the warm-up games, he would walk around the ground and, and almost invite people to, to sledge him because you, you hear the comments in the warm-up games there aren't that many people in the ground so he sort of got helped him get used to it and he, he actually did it really well uh, he, he said he didn't take it particularly seriously there was a sort of campaign against him in the in the Courier Mail newspaper in, in Brisbane that was sort of done as sort of tongue-in-cheek but it's pretty you know heavy sort of stuff from the, the people who are sort of trying to G Australia up and undermine England on that first day at the Gabba, he, he took all those wickets and looked as if it was going to be same again. As far as England are concerned, they had a good first day, 132 for six, and then it rather changed after that. But I mean, you you, you have to be ready to deal with the noise of Australia, and it, it will come, mind you. It happens in England now as well. I mean, there's, there's some pretty serious stuff goes on the boundary in England as well from the, Eng- the England supporters. Yeah. It's almost as if they say, right, we've seen what the Australians are going to do. We're going to going to give it back. I remember sitting at the Oval in 2009 in the, in the final Test match, second day, and the abuse to Shane Watson on the, the boundary edge. I mean, I was actually shocked. Mm. And there was, that, there was that time when Jason Gillespie came running on the pitch during the 2005 Ashes and they were shouting, where's your caravan and things like that. And, of course, you know, Mitchell Johnson, yeah. the bowl to the left, bowl to the right. Yeah. In fact, he was saying recently that he joined in with the Barmy Army singing, he bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. And he was doing it to his stretching, wasn't he? And, again, he sort of bought into it a little bit, and that actually, I think, sort of in, almost invigorated him, and he came up with the, one of the most sensational spells of bowling we've seen in the Ashes. Yeah, I wonder when it got to him in 2010-11, though, and then perhaps he then yeah. worked out yes, how to deal, how with, to it. deal with it, which is, what, which is what you need to do. I mean, ultimately, you know, it is a, a battle between bat and ball, between batsman and bowler, isn't it? But there's all, there's all that sort of periphery, peripheral stuff that goes on as well that you, you have to be able to deal with. And England have got some young cricketers. They've got some Ashes virgins in their lineup as well, haven't they? They have. They have. What about Australia's weaknesses, though? And, and the pressure. And we talked about the pressure that England might feel under in Australia. It is a tough tour, one of the toughest tours. What about some of Australia's weaknesses? Well, very good point. And actually, I looked up the the form of their top six batsmen today, and a couple of hundreds. One by Steve Smith and one by Kuwaja, but the rest haven't done much. The people who are going to open, like Matt Renshaw's likely to open, he's he got a pair in a, in a recent game, and uh, Peter Hanscom, number five, hasn't 
done much. I don't know who's going to bat at six. Could be Glenn Maxwell, but he's done it. He's he's done okay. A fifty here or there, but nobody apart from, of course, Steve Smith himself has made real colossal amounts of runs in the Shield games prior to to the first test, and that just emphasises the fact that they're not a very settled batting unit. Who's going to bat at six? It could be Cartwright, who nobody knows much about. But they're just as vulnerable, I think, to the moving ball as, as our English team are. If England can get the ball to move. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the Kookaburra ball after the break. We'll hear from Steve Finn, who's sadly not going to be part of this Ashes tour after coming home early. I do think also that England's wicketkeeper batsman is a sort of pivotal position in the team. Johnny Bairstow has had a phenomenal 18 months. And who's going to be that position for Australia? Matthew Way, probably. But he's not looked convincing. So, again, that's an area where I think England can really focus. Yeah, but you, you do come back to Australia's potency with the ball and whether they'll be able to sweep away England's tail. Mo and Ali's going to get plenty of short stuff. I and mean, he's been very effective of late in England's played some wonderful innings. But how is he going to deal with the short ball in Australia? Presumably he's going to take it on. Is he going to be successful? Then Chris Wokes and then the, the tail and Mitchell Stark and, and Hazelwood and, and Cummings. They might just be a bit too good for England's tail. Yeah, I think that their last three, England's last three, are going to struggle against the, the Mitchell Stark type approach. He's got two hat tricks in that, that match for New South Wales against Western Australia and he's looking pretty dangerous. But I, I think Chris Wokes is a key man because he plays reverse swing well, he plays it late. He also is strong on the offside, and they're going to try and do a lot of bowling round the wicket, trying to angle it in and then take it away and hit the off stump. That's what Mitchell Stark likes to do. So I think Wokes will be an important counter to that. What England have to make sure they do is not lose too many wickets before the 50th over, so that when Mitchell Stark comes on with that reverse swing, 55 to 60 overs, England's middle order are still in, rather than the lower order. Okay. after the break, we're going to hear from Stephen Finn about how to bowl with the Kookaburra ball. Welcome back. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to the analyst inside cricket so you get the programme automatically. During the Ashes, we're actually going to do a daily programme. So every time there's Ashes cricket, we're going to do a podcast after that day's play. And you just click on the button where it says subscribe and you'll get it automatically. And you can listen to it hopefully on your way to work, actually, if we can get it up and running early enough in the morning session, certainly after the Brisbane test, we should be able to get it to you between 8 and 9 in the morning. So uh, you'll get, hopefully, a, a good account of the day's play and a bit of analysis. And thanks for your reviews, by the way, on of this podcast. Uh, please continue to leave those. It, it, it's really helpful. Now, we're going to hear from Stephen Finn in, in just a moment. I'd just like to pick up on something that uh, Stephen Jones uh, has been talking about. Stephen Jones, a former Somerset bowler, he's now a, a bowling coach. He's worked with uh, Stuart Broad, for example, at the... Hobart Hurricanes. Basically, just to summarise, looking at the injuries that England have had, and some, you know, to some extent, the injuries that the Australians have had in their pace bowling battery. This fact that a lot of gym work is going on and not not enough bowling. Basically, he says bowlers are not bowling enough, and the workloads are overmanaged, and they're in the gym, they're doing weights, and that's the wrong preparation for bowling. What say you, former bowler? Well, I agree with that. Actually, I, I think it's obviously important to do some gym work, but. I did a lot of swimming, actually, uh, in winters when I wasn't playing, and I found that was a good 
you know, all over body exercise. Funnily enough, if we go back to, you know, the 1950s, Alec Bedser, who famously bowled a thousand overs a, a summer and kept going very well. And I asked him once, just before he died, I asked him what he did to keep fit. And he said, digging. I helped my dad round the builder's yard, digging lots of holes for, you know, bricklaying and stuff. Obviously, uh, that, that's a bit, uh, you know, old school. But I certainly think that flexibility is one of the most important things. And if you look at Jimmy Anderson, he doesn't do a lot of weights. Mm. He does a lot of flexibility, a hell of a lot of stretching more than anything else. I mean, I talked to him about this recently. And he loved the fact that there were seven tests in a row recently this summer close together because he said, I just got into a rhythm of bowling. And he did his stretching before and after play and he stayed fit for the whole summer. So it is a question, and this is very old school, but I think it still holds true. The more bowling you do, the more likely you are to be fit for bowling. Another point as well, you look at England's build-up to the first test in Brisbane. They're not actually playing that much cricket. I mean, touring teams these days don't play a great deal of cricket before the first test. And it's probably one of the reasons why Australia are so good in Brisbane if the first test is played there, and there are other factors as well, that teams aren't quite ready for that first test match. Yeah. And batted all bold enough. Yeah, quite. And I mean, you know, the most successful series that England have had recently was that Strauss tour. 2010-11, when they did play three proper warm-up games, which were quite hard against decent opposition. They did some scenarios, what they call practice sessions, middle practice sessions, where they set targets for batsmen and bowlers and so on. And they really, really prepared excellently and managed to have a team performing each time and pretty much stuck to the same team. Whereas England are going to have to mix and match a little bit and there's a couple of people there you know, making their debut or early in their test careers, unsure of their own ability at this stage. So England's build-up certainly hasn't been uh, ideal. And they were that Stephen Finn, injured basically without playing any cricket uh, Of course, in his case, he was injured batting, as we said, rather than bowling. He's always been a slightly fragile case uh, physically, which is just a nature of his body, I think. It's not because he doesn't do the work, but he has been a bit liable, a bit prone to breaking down. This was an unlucky injury, but... Anyway, I thought it was interesting to talk to him about the art of bowling with the kookaburra ball rather than the Dukes. I'd say a kookaburra probably swings for less time than a Duke, so um, you've probably got 15 or 20 overs of the ball swinging conventionally and then you have to find other ways to challenge the batsman, whether it be wobble seam, cross seam, uh, reverse swing... Um, you have to find other ways to challenge them, angles on the crease, etc. So, um, yeah, the biggest difference between the two balls is the amount of time that they swing, I'd say, conventionally. And, and what about the, the reverse swing? I mean, you know, that's something that obviously the Australians are good at, and England too. How do you get a ball legitimately into a state, a kookaburra, into the state of a reverse swinging? Uh, there's a couple of things that you can do. You can bowl cross-seam balls, and, and as soon as one side has been hit a couple of times um, on the wicket with it being cross-seam. Um, you can choose to keep the other side as, as dry and as smooth as possible um, just to, to try and get that contrast in the ball. The other way is to throw it in from the boundary on one bounce um, and then as soon as there's a mark on the ball again, you keep the ball up, get it through as few hands as possible and, and there's someone just shining the shiny side as much as they can. And who will that be? Who will be the person handling the ball. In the past, it was Alistair Cook because he didn't sweat. Is that yeah. going to be the same this time? I'd imagine so, unless, unless he sweats these days. I'd imagine it'd be Alistair Cook, yeah. When a ball swings big, especially on an overcast day here in England, it becomes difficult to know where to start the ball to get it to swing to challenge a batsman's off stump. Um, 
and that, that's one of the biggest challenges and that's why someone like James Anderson is so good because he can assess and work out almost instantly what he has to do to be able to get it to hit off stump. Um, but yeah, with a with a Kookaburra ball, it swings less, therefore it's easier to, or slightly easier to control, um, and you can hit the deck hard and let rip and, and just let the the pitch do the do the rest of the work. Uh, and with reverse swing, how do you change your bowling? Um, I think you probably have to be a little bit fuller. Um, you have to vary your pace a little bit so that the ball that you try and get the batsman out, because ultimately with the reverse swing. You're playing a game with the batsman, trying to set them up to get them out a certain way. Um, so your pace is very important. That the ball that you're trying to get the wicket with is uh, your quicker ball. Um, and then I think it's practice and, and changing practice in bowling from different areas of the crease, trying to play with the batsman to get him um, in a different position on the crease is probably the most important thing. It certainly is a different art bowling with the, the kookaburra, as Steve Finn was saying there, and. It doesn't feel great in your hand, I don't think, but you just have to get on with it. The seam gets very flat, so it's not going to do anything off the wicket, really, once the the seam has lost its proudness, which only lasts about 10 overs or so. So you have to find other ways of of doing it. And I think, actually, Finn's point there about changing your pace is very good. When you're bowling with reverse swing especially, the faster you can bowl it, firstly, the more it's going to swing and later as well. And secondly, it's just going to catch the batsman unawares. So to move a batsman around the crease a bit by bowling some slightly wider of the crease, some closer to the stump, some a little bit more outside off stump with reverse out swing, then some with closer to the stumps with reverse in swing, just to kind of make the batsman a little bit uncertain. And then when you want to go for that big, say, in-swinging delivery to try and pin him LBW, you just go with a little bit more effort just to try and skid it into his pads before he's got the bat down. Just on the kookaburra, is it, is it not a case of just saying, use the Dukes, it'll make cricket round the world more interesting if the bowlers have got a bit more of a chance? Of course, it's a, a political decision, that. Kookaburra's made in Australia, and they've used the, the kookaburra for a long time. I know that Dukes are trying to make inroads into Australian cricket. They're already having that ball being used in Australian first-class cricket, and they really like it. It lasts a long time. It's a slightly different make-up of the ball because it has to be a little bit tougher on the surface to survive the abrasive conditions of Australia. But basically, it's a better ball with a better seam. It does a little bit more. It keeps its shine for longer. They definitely should use it in Australian test cricket as well as first-class cricket, and probably in the end they will. We focused a lot today on bowling and bowlers. What about England's batting lineup? Uh, some runs for... Stoneman so far, Milan made a half century, Vince has made a few runs but he's been a bit flirty, a bit loose. Which is what he's like. And we've already seen a big England batting collapse. How many more of these do you think we're going to see during the series? I mean, is it, is it going to be one of those series where England's batting is under severe pressure throughout from Australia's bowling? I think it is. I, I can't see any other way around it because I don't think that there is enough resilience in that batting order. Cook so far hasn't played too well. Are you, wor- are you worried about him? I am a little bit worried about him, but uh, what I do know about him is he will work his socks off to try and get his rhythm going. And what's good also is he's now got his own personal coach out in Australia, Gary Palmer, who's been working privately with him now for two and a half, three years. And interestingly, has a, a totally different sort of non-conformist approach to batting coaching. Everyone thinks it's a sideways game, batting, but he's proved... 
he thinks it's a front-on game and he talks about getting your shoelaces in line when you drive rather than getting your foot across to the offside. Your foot should be pointing down the wicket, both feet down the wicket, slightly more chest on. He's been working hard with Cook on that approach and generally when he's worked with Cook, it's worked. Cook has actually produced more runs, has been more consistent, has had a better average after sessions with Gary Palmer. Let's hope that happens again. But still, it doesn't camouflage the fact that England have got Stoneman, who's never played in Australia or in the Ashes before. They've got a very uncertain number three, James Vince, who sort of flatters to deceive. Joe Root, obviously a fantastic player, but massively under pressure. And then Bet Milan at number five. So there's three players there the Australians can really focus on. And and Cook and Root haven't exactly given us a huge amount of confidence either. So, yeah, I think if you just look at the records of, of England over the last two years, they've been 80 for four consistently and been bailed out constantly by Bearstow, Stokes, who's not there, and Moen Alley. So those people listening to the, the first day of the, the first test at Brisbane, after about an hour, you expect England to be about 40 for five, do you? If they bat first... <laughs> I think it could be a, it's, it's it's a better bet than there being two hundred for naught. Let's say. Well, I think that's that's yeah, that is probably true. I think. <laughs> right. So the Ashes begin next week, and I'll be speaking to you from Brisbane next Wednesday, and we'll have regular Ashes updates on this podcast. Goodbye for now. Speak to you then. Podcast Network.